Are you ready for the game plan? Ellis Tolbert has got you covered. It's time for 4th and 16 on The Roar. Hey folks, welcome to 4th and 16's The Game Plan. I'm your host, Ellis Tolbert. Folks, we're here at week eight, and the Tigers are still undefeated. Tigers are 6-0 after destroying Florida State in epic fashion to the tune of 45-14, a game that could have been much worse. This week, the Tigers will travel to take on a resurgent, a confident Louisville Cardinal team that came off of a basketball score win over Wake Forest, 62-59, a game that got a little interesting and testy late, but they found a way to win on the road. Now, the Cardinals are 4-2 on the season with losses coming to Notre Dame and Florida State, uh, two games that they could have won. They let slip away late. They do have wins over Eastern Kentucky, Western Kentucky, Boston College, as well as the aforementioned game with Wake Forest. Now, this is going to be another divisional play game as Louisville's actually second in the conference right now in the Atlantic. This can be very interesting. This game will be aired on ABC, and kickoff is going to be at noon. So if you're going to go to the game, you'll have enough time to get there. It'll be a little crazy with the traffic. But if you're staying home and watching the game, you'll be able to have the entire day to watch college football. Now, will the refreshing new look Tigers come out uh, and continue their domination over the Cardinals avenge last year's embarrassing loss? Let's go ahead and get into it. First-year head coach Scott Satterfield comes over from Appalachian State, so you know he's the real deal. Uh, I thought this was an A-plus hire for Louisville, especially coming off of the much-maligned Bobby Petrino era. Uh, that guy was just crazy. Scott Satterfield is the perfect coach to get them back on track. As his offensive coordinator, he brings over Dwayne Ledford, former offensive line coach and run game coordinator at NC State. But previous to that, he was the offensive coordinator under Scott Satterfield at App State. So these guys are very familiar with each other. They're a very good duo. These guys are innovative. They're very smart. So much so that the scheme is, I don't know, really. I'm going to call it a multiple spread. The reason why I say that is because they have a lot of principles that come out of the spread offense, but they can line up a million different things, and they're very good at running it. So again, multiple spread. Let's go ahead and talk about personnel. So when I talk about this, I want to get you guys up to speed. Maybe when you watch the game this Saturday, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when I say personnel packages. So you'll hear coaches and people say 12 personnel, 11 personnel. What that means is the first number in the group so say, let's take the number 12, for instance. One would be the amount of running backs. The second number, two, would be amount of tight ends on the field. So if I were to say to you, they're in 12 personnel, that means there's run, one running back and two tight ends. Simple, right? Let's go ahead and get into that. The personnel that they like to use a lot is 21. You'll see some 12. I've even seen 30, which means there's zero tight ends on the field. Very confusing. They'll have three guys lined up. You'll have a running back in a sort of pseudo tight end position. Uh, we've seen this before, especially with uh, NC State, uh, with guys like Jalen Samuel. This is going to be important because we're going to see a lot of the same aspects from NC State over the past years, especially with Ledford coming out with Louisville this year. You'll see them a lot in the pistol formation, which is basically like a quarterback in a shallow gun. He's only about five yards back and a running back behind him. You'll see some gun bunch. You'll see some trips, especially to the strong side a lot. They want to do that. Then you'll also see some four wide. They don't really get into that unless the game's getting out of hand and they're trying to get back into it, or they're going to try and be very aggressive. We'll see if they take that approach early on. We'll talk about that later. 
So again, Scott Satterfield, excellent hire. I think he's a better hire than Jeff Brom, Purdue head coach right now that played quarterback at Louisville. That's who they initially wanted. They they were putting all, all the stops to get him. Uh, and, you know, he was on board at first, but then he decided to stay at Purdue. But Scott Satterfield was kind of the blessing in disguise. He's going to be the much cheaper option by far. He's also the model of consistency and commitment. He was the quarterback for Appalachian State in the late 90s, and then he went on to be the quarterback's coach all mid-2000s, and then he became the head coach, uh, and now he's finally at Louisville. So you know he's not going to take the money and run uh, when things get bad or if he gets enough success that other teams come calling. I think he's one of those guys that likes to stay. So again, excellent hire in my opinion, especially considering what they came from. And he's doing a massive rebuild. Let's not forget this. Much more with less, too, because he's going to have to do that in the ACC. He's competing with other teams. He's going to be competing with Kentucky, uh, and he's not familiar with that area, but he, he's going to shine through and he's going to do well. He's doing a much better job than Willie Taggart is at Florida State and Jeff Collins is at Georgia Tech so far. So, you know, they're already better than they were a year ago. They beat the 2-10 and 10 mark by two games so far into the 2019 season already. So success. And again, they're the second team in the Atlantic right now as far as standings go. But this offense is high-powered again. Reminds me of the times with Lamar Jackson. Of course, not as powerful as they were early on in 2016 season, but they are still really good. And they definitely don't have a player of that caliber on the roster anymore, but they do have some very dynamic players. Folks, this offense is legit. They're really good. Uh, if you didn't see that in the 62-59 game last week, uh, this team can really put up some points on the board. They're the 16th-ranked offense in the country. Uh, they're the third best offense in the ACC behind Wake Forest and Clemson. And to put that into a little bit of perspective, think about what you know about Clemson's offense. Think about how powerful they are or should be, right? Then you think about Wake Forest is the fifth best offense in the country, in the entire nation. Clemson is behind them, a couple of spots behind them, around 13, 14, and then Louisville's just behind us. So again, very good offense. And I know you have to take into consideration who they've played and whatnot. But again, none of that matters to me. What matters to me is how you execute, no matter who you play, and they've been doing that. Uh, so again, very good. They're very fast too. Very, very fast team. Might be one of the fastest one we see all year. They are legitimately fast at every position. I'm talking offensive line, tight end, receiver, super fast at running back and super fast quarterback. Uh, and their offense goes through their quarterback. Now, the starter this week is going to be Mikhail Cunningham. He's been the starter for a couple of weeks now, original starter and last year's starter. Puma Pass was injured. I don't think he's going to come back at all this season, so a lot of it has been resting on Cunningham's shoulders. He took a big hit against Wake Forest in the lower body. Uh, he left. He was seen on the bike trying to get back in, but he never returned. They turned it over to true freshman quarterback Evan Connolly out of Marietta, Georgia. These guys are Pretty good, actually. Uh, let's talk a little bit about both of those guys. So, Mikhail Cunningham is going to be their poor man's Lamar Jackson. This guy is seriously fast. Uh, of course, he's not as fast as Lamar Jackson, but this guy can move. He's not super inaccurate, but he's also not the most accurate quarterback as well. He doesn't have a big, strong arm either. He reminds me a lot of Ryan Finley, former NC State quarterback. They're not going to wow you with his arm. But when he throws the ball, it's probably going to be complete because he knows exactly where to go with the ball. He's very exceptional with that. He's also an escape artist. This guy is super good at getting out of trouble. Dabo called him Houdini, and there couldn't be a better comparison of the two. Uh, this guy is very good inside the pocket. 
He can make a lot of things happen. He knows how to step up when he feels pressure. He doesn't get happy feet. He doesn't see ghost. Again, very good. Outside of the pocket, even more dangerous. Uh, he knows how to extend a play, and that's byproduct of him being very fast. So Clemson's going to have to have a spy out there or somebody that can contain him. You don't want to over-pursue this guy. You don't want to get outside of your rush lanes. If he gets outside, that could be danger for this Clemson defense. His backup is going to be the true freshman, Evan Conley. And again, folks, this guy's legit. I imagine Conley will end up being the quarterback playing the most for them, not just in this game, but moving forward. He has the highest ceiling of any quarterback on the roster. He's already showing signs of being a field general, not just like a Jake Fromm field general. I'm talking about a guy that can throw the ball, that can run the ball. Uh, he is very accurate with the ball. He's deceptively fast, too. He's also decent inside the pocket. I want to see him move around a little bit. I want to see us bring some heavy pressure, try to test and see how good he is inside the pocket. He is a true freshman, after all. He's prone to making a mistake. So quarterbacks overall, pretty good for Louisville this year. Uh, but the strength of this offense is absolutely at wide receiver, and they got a lot of them. Their leader by far is Des Fitzpatrick. This guy is tough. He is shifty, very reliable receiver, best route runner, best hands of the entire group. He's also selfless. You'll see him laying it on the line for his team, blocking on pretty much every single play that he's not catching the ball. He doesn't take any plays off. The other guy is Seth Dawkins, very big and strong receiver. He's one of their two red zone threats. He's about 6'4", 225 pounds. Now, this guy wins a lot of jump balls. They throw a lot of 50-50 balls to him. He usually wins those, so we have to watch out for that. He's also pretty fast, but the fastest player uh, on the entire team is receiver Chatarius Tutu Atwell. Uh, this guy's easily a 4-2 kind of guy. Now, small is an understatement when I say small. He is tiny. He's about 5'8", 150 pounds, legit. He plays much bigger and stronger than that, though, for sure, folks. This guy was able to rip a ball away from a player that outweighed him by about 100 pounds on an onside kick recovery against Wake Forest. He was at the bottom of the pile, so this guy's very strong. He's also their gadget player. They like to use him in motions and screens and first tosses. They even allow him to throw passes. He has two attempts on the season already. He didn't complete them, but he's very good. He's also the guy they like to go on third down to. He's their version of Hunter Renfro. Can't catch as good, but very, very dangerous player. The other guy is Josh Johnson. He's their second leading receiver, another speedy possession type guy. And they also have the monster, the Megatron-looking guy, Devontae Pete. He's like 6'7", 230, super fast, red zone threat. We'll have to watch out for that. Our corner's a little bit undersized to those guys, so we're going to have to play very good. It'll be interesting to see if we play any you know, press man on those guys. The second strength of the team would be at running back and the running game in general. These guys are legit. They're averaging like five yards per rush, around 230 yards per game. That's Clemson numbers. Now, the leader of that group is Hassan Hall. He's actually not the statistical leader. He's not even the starter, uh, but he has the most experience. That comes through when you watch game film on this guy. He knows his blocking assignments. He's a pretty good receiver. Uh, he knows how to run north and south. He's a one-cut type back. Very good balance and vision. He reminds me a lot of Travis Etienne in that regard, as they don't go down on the first hit usually uh, very strong lower body. He's only about six foot, 200 pounds, so he's very comparable to Travis Etienne, but not as explosive. Very good player. He was recently passed up on the depth chart, though, by redshirt freshman Javian Hawkins. And folks, this guy is talented. He is really good. 
He leads the team in yards, and he leads the team in carries by about 30, so he has a lot of touches. He's also one of the two most dynamic players offensively along with Tutu Atwell. This guy's a slasher-type back, tons of speed, but he's not afraid of contact. Both of these guys run towards contact. They're not afraid of getting hit, so that's going to be an interesting matchup with our linebackers. The quarterbacks are also heavily used in the run game. You got Mikhail Cunningham being the third leading rusher and Evan Conley as the fifth leading rusher on the team. So these guys are used heavily. Uh, they're an extension of the run game. You'll see a lot of spread option. You'll see some ISO option. You might even see some design quarterback runs. They, they like to get these guys involved. They're very good. Of course, this offense is very fine and explosive, but they go as far as their offensive line will take them. And for the second week in a row, the offensive line is the weakest link. Now, they do have some talented players, and I want to go ahead and talk about one. Left tackle Makai Becton is a large human being. He is like Thanos. He might actually be the only person that I can think of that can make Dexter Lawrence look small. This guy is about 6'9". 390 pounds, almost 400 pounds. He is good too. He has very good footwork, very strong as well, but naturally he is slow off of the snap. He can be beaten by elite talent just because of how big he is. So it'll be interesting to see if guys like Xavier Thomas can get around him. He has very long arms too, which is very good for a tackle. You can't have you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex arms if you're a tackle. So they have some other good players. Cole Bentley, who's playing center at one point. I think he's playing right guard now. He's the other leader of the offense. He's fast, but not super strong. He can get beat. It'll be interesting to see if Clemson brings more heat in the interior gaps to try to mitigate some of that because, you know, we want to get pressure on their quarterbacks. We want to see what happens when they're having to run for their lives. Now, they've been doing that anyway just because these quarterbacks are considered scramblers, but the offensive line truly hasn't given up very many sacks. I think 13 total between the three quarterbacks that have played this season. But again, that's in part because the quarterbacks are good at getting outside of the pocket and extending plays. Uh, so we'll have to watch for that. But I'm thinking if we have a lot of interior pressure, we can get to these quarterbacks and make them a little bit rattled. The tight ends are pretty much going to be a non-factor in this game. Uh, I think the starters, Ian Pfeiffer and Jordan Davis, have one reception between the two in six games. So uh, there's a lot of personnel groupings, like I said earlier, that do not have a traditional tight end on the field in favor of having two running backs, three running backs, or maybe even an extra receiver. Uh, the guys are just not used. I'm sure they will throw to the tight ends a little bit more in this game as that is a tendency breaker. I know it. Clemson knows it. So why not do something different? Let's go ahead and talk some keys to the game for the Clemson defense. You got to keep contained. Again, these quarterbacks can move well. They're dangerous outside of the pocket. We want to close the pocket on them, make them have to read. You got to keep everything in front of you. They are a big play and explosive team. They want to have all those long 50-yard plays. Keep everything in front of you. They can have the short game all day. You got to stop the run. That's their thing. If you stop the run, you put them in a throwing situation, game's over. Speaking of that, you got to keep an eye out for the option run. The quarterbacks are very good at running it. You got to win on third down. They are terrible on third downs, converting just about 40%. Stop them and get your defense off of the field. Watch for trick plays. They will do it. And lastly, you have to make them earn every single yard. They don't want to play the long game. They want to play the short game and get a lot of points early. So you got to stop that, kill their confidence. 
Folks, the Cardinals are light years better than what they were last year, but this is still a rebuild, let me make that clear. I think Scott Satterfield has enough talent and creativity to put this offense in position to put up some serious points, a lot like Willie Taggart, but we saw how that turned out. Clemson can't get caught sleeping, though, because they will do a ton of things like eye candy and try to confuse Clemson as a means of creating an advantage for their overmatched personnel. But I do think Clemson has a shot of really having a lot of success, especially against his young quarterbacks. But they do have a legitimate shot at putting up some serious points if Clemson plays lazy defense. They can't do it. I don't think they will. I think they come in with the same hunger, anger, and focus as this past weekend, and I think they get the job done. Folks, we got to go to break, but in the next segment, we'll be talking the Clemson offense versus this terrible, atrocious, awful Louisville defense, whatever you want to call it. You listen to 4th and 16. Back in a moment. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Welcome back to 4th and 16 on The Roar. And we're back. Segment 2 of 4th and 16 is underway. This is the game plan, and I'm Ellis Stolberg. Now, Clemson's offense had their way with Florida State last weekend, toying with them, trying out new things, just having fun. Can they continue the trend against this reimagined Louisville defense that surrendered 77 points to the Tigers last season in Death Valley and 59 just this past weekend to Wake Forest? The answer, oh yeah. Let's go ahead and get into this sad train wreck. Co-coordinators Brian Brown and Court Dennison have a lot of work to do. These guys are young, but they are bright minds. Now, this team actually uses a true co-coordinator approach, with one calling the plays from the box, the other one calling the plays from the field, so they both are actively involved in the entire game plan. Brian Brown is young and talented. He was the defensive coordinator under Scott Satterfield at App State. So, again, another guy that has a lot of familiarity with Scott Satterfield. Uh, He's the main play caller of the two. He played some cornerback at Ole Miss in the mid-2000s. Now, Court Dennison is the other defensive coordinator and also serves as the linebackers coach, previously coaching at Oregon for the 2018 season, but is technically returning to Louisville. He coached there in 2014 to 2017. He also serves as the recruiting coordinator. Uh, He's very familiar with Clemson. He also played linebacker at Washington in 2011, so that gives you a gauge of just how young these guys are. They're bright minds. They know what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball, but they came into one of the absolute worst defenses ever. Cardinals had the worst defensive success rate in 2018. Basically, if you needed the yardage on any given down and distance, you could easily get it against this defense. We know that. Truthfully, this defense has been bad for a number of years, just like the offensive line. It's a product of lazy recruiting by the Petrino regime over the years, despite having some crazy good defensive coordinators like Todd Grantham and Peter Sermon, two of the most respected defensive coordinators in the game. 
Now, their scheme is a 3-4, but if you listen to defensive coordinator Brian Brown, he says, quote, unlike any other 3-4 team. Basically, he's saying that they want to get into the backfield with exotic and delayed blitzes that confuse you. They want to bring extra heat without having to bring pretty much like every other defensive coordinator out there that runs this kind of defensive scheme. That's no disrespect to his comment, uh, but we've seen this before a couple weeks now. A couple weeks in a row, actually. It's not all that uncommon anymore, but they are doing the best with what they've got. They want to fly around the ball. Their main goal is to stop the run. They will do anything to stop the run, so much so that they will give up a ton of passing yards. You know, it just depends on which team shows up. Sometimes the secondary and the linebackers are very disciplined and they make you have to earn every yard. And then other games, they can't stop anything. We saw that with Wake Forest. This defense is very porous, kind of like last year. Last year, they averaged giving up 44 points a game. I talked about how Clemson put up 77. Truthfully, they could have put up 150 if they wanted to with relative ease. But Dabo's a good guy. He's not going to do that. This year's team, though, is focused on never giving up and playing tough. And so far, they've done that. That's why they're 4-2. and two. Uh, They could easily be 5-1. and one. They should have won the Notre Dame game. But there are a lot of talented players individually on this defense, but as a whole, still very weak. So let's go ahead and talk about the strength of the defense. And the strength of the defense, by far, is at linebacker. You got linebacker C.J. Avery that leads the way. He's the second leading tackler on the team and all-around good football player. Very sound. Good tackler, too. He's good in run support and in coverage. Isn't very big, though. He's about 5'11", 220 pounds, but he is truly an ideal linebacker for what they're trying to do in this group. Dorian Etheridge is the other leader at linebacker. He's a big guy. Strong player, but not as good in run support. He misses a lot of tackles. If he hits you, though, uh, you're going to feel it. He will bust your grape but he does miss a lot of layup tackles. He's a decent cover linebacker. Again, very sound player. Rajay Burns is a tackle machine as well. He's technically a linebacker, but he looks and plays like a safety. He's very reliable in coverage. He's a transfer from Ohio State where he played a similar position. Uh, very good player. Kind of like a nickel guy. Nick Okiki is another very hard hitter at outside linebacker, but he can move down to edge rusher. He's got a little size on him. Very fast, quick twitch guy. Debarius Peterson is technically a defensive end, but he can also move backwards to play linebacker. He's also an edge rusher. So again, a lot of experience with these guys. Uh, they're fast. They can move around the ball. Uh, they're strong. They're very disciplined at the linebacker position. The secondary has a good number of experienced and talented players, but by no means can be considered a strength per se. Because while the secondary is good with anything intermediate and short, I'm talking five to 15 yards, there are absolute liabilities when it comes to deep passes. If you're doing any 50-50 plays or any back shoulder throws, you can kill them, especially when they're caught in man coverage on the outsides. Now, this secondary has the potential to be really good, to be great, actually, but just not at the current moment. They got a lot of work to do. They got to get more disciplined. The leaders of this secondary are the safeties, Kane Pass and Russ Yeast. Pass is the brother of injured quarterback Puma Pass. He's actually the team's leading tackler. He is a ball hawk, really good. He's a liability in coverage, though, especially if you put him in a mismatch bind with a number one receiver or a number two receiver or even a tight end that's athletic. But he can still cover decently within the zone concepts. Very smart player. Rust Yeast is the other safety that has a lot of potential. Uh, very, very good at run support. Very big frame, thick body too. It'll lay the wood on you. Uh, I want to see him coverage a little bit more 
he does get beat sometimes on simple routes, especially if he's gone up against a slot receiver or a running back in the backfield or a tight end. He's just mismatched with that one, but very good player. The cornerbacks in this game are kind of eh, lackluster. The leader of that group is Cornelius Sturgill. Now, he is the McKenzie Alexander type. He doesn't have a lot of stats because he doesn't see a lot of passes coming his way because of his pass-covering skills. He's pretty good at that, but he's terrible with tackling. He's the guy you run to run the ball at. That's a calculated decision. Uh, he's just not going to help much with the run support game because of his lack of size and sheer will to hit somebody. He just doesn't want to do it. But the other cornerback, Chandler Jones, is the complete opposite. He's a true sophomore. He's the team's fifth leading tackler and loves to come up and knock someone's jockstrap into the dirt, despite actually being smaller than Sturgill, which is kind of strange. He's not as good in coverage, though. He's got stiff hips. You definitely want to pick on this guy in the passing game. Their backup, he kind of rotates between both sides and field and boundary, is P.J. Imbanasser. He can play both sides. He's versatile. Folks, this is the first time in a while that I can remember that Louisville didn't have a big imposing secondary. There's only one player amongst the starters at corner and safety that are at least six foot tall. That's crazy because they used to have those big 6'5 safeties and 6'3 to 6'4 corners. Not anymore, though. That might be a mismatch with our guys at wide receiver. We got a lot of 6'4", 6'5 guys. Could be a mismatch. Time will tell. The Louisville defensive line is the worst part of this Louisville defense, and that's kind of the book on them this season. They're really bad in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Uh, this defensive line is porous, folks. Let's just face it. It's part of the reason why they changed to a 3-4 scheme. They rely more on their linebackers and edge rushers for pressure. Now, they do have some talent along the defensive line. Gigi Robinson and Amante Caban are the stalwarts. Those guys are really good, but nobody else really stands out. You got Derek Dorsey and Jared Goldwire, uh, but, and those guys have experience, but it's really just Robinson and Caban. Those guys are really the only ones making a difference. So if I'm Louisville, you have to get these guys to have a good game, especially if they want to have a chance against Clemson. Uh, imagine that Clemson is going to run directly at them. Why not? That is the weakness of the defense. You want to test it, do it until they can stop it. Let's go ahead and talk some special teams now. Kicker Blanton Creaky has been around for a while, so he has a ton of experience. Decent kicker, too. Decent accuracy, but he won't wow you with his leg. He doesn't have a huge leg. Punter Mason King is actually a really good punter, too, but last season took a toll on him. The offense was putrid. He was on the field all the time, and he saw his average yards fall by about three yards from the 2017 season. So he's looking to rebound this year, and he's done so, so far. Both of these guys have a lot of experience. They haven't had to be on the field a lot this year or kick a lot of punts or kick a lot of field goals due to the uptick in offensive performance. They're just scoring points now. Louisville's actually pretty good in the return game. Running back Hassan Hall had a 100-yard return against Wake, so he is definitely a threat to take one to the house. And linebacker safety Rajay Burns is also a dangerous returner too, so we got to be on our P's and Q's. I think the kicking game for Clemson is still too erratic right now. Of course, it hasn't hurt Clemson seriously in the moment yet, but it's critical that they get it fixed before we actually need it later on. We know how important being able to make a field goal is. Need I remind you, we couldn't make a field goal against Syracuse in 2017. I just think B.T. Potter is being way too inconsistent right now. It might be nerves because the kid has all of the talent in the world. He just needs to harness it, focus a little bit more. He's going to get right. He's going to get back on track, but he's going to have to do some things to get his confidence back. I think Steven Sawicki is going to get the start for this game at place kicker. Uh, he's still going to be doing the kickoff duties, and they're going to split that, but uh, Sawicki has earned the right to win the job for now. I think Sawicki is good, but he has nowhere near the range of Potter. 
And we all know that. Will Spires is continuing to be decent. I really can't complain much about his job. He's doing a pretty good job. Of course, he's had a shank here and there, but that will happen just like any quarterback will throw an interception at some point in his career. It's going to happen, but he's doing his job. I still want to see Clemson return a punt. I want to see us do it and take one to the house. Between Darian Kendrick and Amari Rogers, we should already have one. These guys are electric. They're dynamic. They can do it. We're just a little tentative with it. I want to see it happen. Bust it out this game. Let's move over to the keys to the game for the Clemson offense. First, run the ball. Run the ball. Run it even though they want to stop it so bad. You run the ball. It's going to open up many other things for this offense. We saw that happen last week against Florida State. We can capitalize on that against Louisville. Rely on the RPO heavily in this game. They are largely undisciplined, especially now that you have Travis Etienne getting the ball more. You have Trevor Lawrence actually being a threat in the run game, and they know about our receivers. They have to pick and choose their poison. Get Trevor in that rhythm again. Man, he looks so good when he's in rhythm. Give him some high-efficiency throws. When he does that, he's unstoppable. If you do that, we won't need him much after the third quarter again. I promise you that. Game will be out of hand. Watch for stemming and delayed blitzes. This has killed us for a couple of weeks. Maybe not so much last week, but against North Carolina, it was particularly bad. They're going to be moving before the snap. They want to get you to jump off sides. You have to be able to stay. Know the snap count. Communication is key. It's going to be loud there again. Find the check down. Throw it to wherever they vacate. Basically, what I'm saying is wherever they blitz from, you want to have a receiver right there. It's simple. Middle of the field, slants, little seam routes, hitches, anything like that. Crossing routes. We can eat them alive in this game, I promise. Tempo. You want to tempo the crap out of this team. They don't have a whole lot of depth. If you get them on their heels, they're going to make a mistake. They're going to blow a coverage. Clemson's going to put a lot of points on the board. Plus, it's going to help with them being tired. They're going to be emotionally spent from being so hyped up in the beginning of the game. They're going to want to come out and hit hard and run fast. But if they're on their heels and they're tired, they don't have anyone that can come in and play at a high level for them. Clemson can. Now, I'm not saying that Clemson needs to come out there and try to go uh, as fast as possible and break the land speed record. They need to know when to slow it down. You don't want to three and out and get your defense back on the field. But I do think that Clemson can hit this team with tempo, and it will affect them. Florida State did a little bit of it. We see what happens there. Clemson has to attack the scoreboard from the kickoff to the final whistle. you got to put points on the board. This team can score. We want to get them in a situation where they're pressing. We want to be up on them so bad that they have to get out there and start throwing the ball all over the field. They're going to make mistakes. Our offense can come out and play free. That's what I want. They need to come out and out-physical them, too. Attack the scoreboard immediately. Finally, keep being creative. I think the play calling this past weekend against Florida State was interesting. I liked it. That's what we've asked for. You're seeing guys like Travis Etienne throw the ball. You're seeing some different kinds of jet sweeps. I'm seeing different formations. They're tendency breakers. That's what I like. Now, I'm not saying Clemson needs to be cute. You don't have to come out and try and do trick plays, but you have to keep it interesting. You have to keep them guessing. They're going to come out and try as play as the best game as possible, and we all know that. Every team's going to give Clemson their best shot. But I'm telling you now, Clemson's doing what they're doing like that. They're going to toy around with teams. Folks, I'm not saying that Clemson will score 77 points on Louisville again, but they just might. 
They played about as close as perfect as possible against Florida State, yet they left about 21 to 28 points on the board against a defense that's arguably better than the one we'll be seeing this Saturday. Actually, much better, especially talent-wise. And look, they toyed with Florida State. They were trying out new stuff. They were out there doing the, the heavy package with Xavier Thomas catching a sweep. They could have easily left Travis Etienne and gone ahead and got points in that one. They were toying with them. But, folks, it's not going to be just super easy. You have to remember that this is still a Division I program in Louisville. They have scholarship players just like we do across the board. Clemson knows that. Everybody knows that. They have to be prepared for that. However, we have better players at almost every single position. You know, Clemson has to come out focused offensively. They have to be ready to attack. They can't play lazy offense. You can't come out and say, we can three and out the first three drives, but we can still get it going later on. They need to attack from the kickoff all the way to the end. No plays off. Keep your foot on the pedal. That's something that senior right tackle Tremaine Ankrum was talking about at halftime with the Clemson offense. See blood in the water? Attack. Keep attacking. Look, I'm telling you right now, if Clemson wants to, they can score whatever they want. They truly can. If they're if they're focused and they're playing the best game that they can, they're playing like a week seven team, they can score whatever they want. You can name the score. And that's no disrespect to Coach Brown and Coach Dennison. I think they're going to be bright, young, upcoming defensive coordinators, but they're still in a rebuild. They got a lot of work to do. There's just too many holes along this Louisville defense. Now, the linebackers are solid. I've mentioned that, but and they've got good players everywhere else, but not enough to get them over the hump to stop an offense like Clemson's if they're playing focused. Just got to hold on for this one. In the future, it might be a little bit better, but right now they got a lot of work to do. Folks, we got to go to break, but in the final segment, I'm going to be comparing position groups and I'm going to be giving you my final prediction of the game. You're listening to 4th and 16th, The Game Plan. I'm Ellis Tolbert. Stick tight. We got more football to talk about. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Welcome back to 4th and 16 on The Roar. All right, folks, we're back. Final segment of 4th and 16, the game plan is underway. And it's time to do that thing where we compare each position group from both teams and we talk about why. Now, as always, we start with the wide receivers. So for the wideouts, I'm going to have to go with Clemson outright. I think the Clemson receivers have finally woken up like we've all been waiting on for six games now. Uh, I think Louisville receivers are good. I think they're very fast, very dynamic, but they will only go as far as their quarterback will take them. Of course, that's a trickle-down thing because the quarterback will only go as far as his offensive line will take them. 
Quick little hint for you, their offensive line isn't going to take the quarterbacks very far. So I think that Clemson's receivers are going to have the better day between the two groups. I think Clemson's receivers have the better depth. I know that there's a lot of seniors and juniors on the Louisville squad, but those guys haven't played as much meaningful football as the Clemson receivers have. You got to think a lot of these guys have played in a national championship. A lot of these guys have played meaningful downs and snaps so far this season. So again, I think Clemson's has a better depth. Justin Ross is alive. He's ready for action. He had two touchdown catches against Florida State. He looks to be back in old form. I'm excited about that. Not exactly sure what's going on with T. Higgins. He had a little bit of an injury against Florida State and was held out for the remainder of the FSU game. But if I'm being totally honest, I think you can rest him in this game. Still do tons of damage with Ross, Rogers, Overton, Latin, and Ngata stepped up and played well in his absence. So I like Clemson's receivers in this one outright. For the running backs, I'm going to have to go outright to Clemson as well. I think Travis Etienne has finally been given the ball more than 10 times in a game. And when he does that, he makes things happen. We see that. The guy is uber talented. We want to keep giving him the ball. Clemson does still have an issue with the drop sees as it seems that Travis Etienne has passed that off to Lynn J. Dixon. But Lynn J. Dixon is still a talented, powerful runner. Good balance and vision. I'm super impressed with the Clemson running backs. All of them. All the backups. I think that Malusi's running hard. I think Rencher is showing people that he is a pretty good football player. I think Dukes is coming in and showing the moves, even though he's not going to beat the red shirt this year. I don't think so. But they're really good. I think Hawkins and Hall, the running backs of Louisville, are really good running backs. I'd love to have those guys at Clemson. They're really talented. But they aren't as good as our running backs from top to bottom. They got a couple of other guys like Matthew Buckley, but he's not going to come in and play any meaningful snaps. And after that, it's more of the quarterbacks running the ball as well. Because of that, I can't really give that to the running back core. I'm going to have to go with Clemson outright. Moving along to the quarterbacks, I have Clemson outright again. I think that Trevor Lawrence is a top five college football player. When he's on his A game, he is the most dangerous asset that you can have on a team. He can run the ball now. He can throw the ball. He's a smart player. I think we're going to see more of that in the coming games. I think Mikhail Cunningham is a dynamic quarterback. I think that Evan Conley is a true gamer. As a true freshman, I think that he will be one of the better ACC quarterbacks in the future. Him and Sam Howell and DJ Uyunglele, all those guys will be very successful in the future. But I do think that they will flip-flop quarterbacks in this game to try to figure out who gives them the best chance to win, a lot like Florida State. They're actually even younger than Clemson at quarterback and less talented. No knock on them, but those guys aren't as talented as Lawrence and Bryce. I would like to see Tyson Pumachan keep getting rest because he still doesn't quite look ready to take the helm yet. Uh, they're usually using him as a running quarterback more late in the game. I want to see him throw the ball more to see him uh, evolve a little bit more. But I have Clemson as winning this one outright. For tight ends, I'm going to go with Clemson outright. They actually might use the tight ends less than Clemson does, which is crazy. Clemson's tight ends are starting to emerge, though, as a passing threat. Both Chalk and Price are stepping up in that regard. I like Price. That guy can catch. He looks smooth when he's catching the ball, too, especially from him being a linebacker before. Really, really doing a good job. And, and Chalk as well. Both of those guys are showing that they have soft hands. You know, Davis Allen is also showing that he's doing some really good work out there, especially as a blocker. I would like to see him catch a pass. Clemson's tight ends are actually better at blocking as well, which is strange because that's the sole duty so far for the Louisville tight ends. I talked about how Pfeiffer and Davis, between the two of them, have one catch on the entire season. 
I'm taking Clemson outright at tight end. Now for the offensive line, I'm going to go with Clemson outright again. Look, I said this last week, and I do not mean to be disrespectful, but a Clemson offensive line playing at B+. Is still better than a A plus Louisville offensive line, just like last week. And I say that because Clemson has the better depth, one, two, and three. Clemson has the better talent at one, two, and three in the depth chart. I think Makai Becton is a really good player for Louisville. He is a big monster, strong. He will have a decent NFL career, but it's gonna be hard for him to keep up with a guy like Xavier Thomas. Again, they don't have any depth. If they have to bring anybody in because of any kind of injuries, it's going to be trouble because the starters are already going to have trouble with this Clemson defensive line. Now, I'm not just going to sit here and pump sunshine. Clemson's offensive line still needs to clean up some mental mistakes, especially with the false start stuff. They're going to be playing in a loud crowd again. They're veteran. They need to be able to overcome all that, but still more talented than Louisville's. Clemson's also dealing with some attrition along the offensive line with injuries and things of that nature, but the young players are still coming in and playing at a high level, and they can still move the line of scrimmage. I'm not sure that I could say the same for Louisville. So outright Clemson's offensive line wins this one. Moving along to the defensive line, I'm going to have to give that one outright to Clemson as well. Just like the offensive line, Clemson's defensive line is just better despite the youth. Look, I think Clemson is better than Louisville in the trenches, and that's going to be the name of this game because they're going to be able to move the line of scrimmage with the offensive line, and they're going to be able to get pressure with the defensive line. I think Clemson's defensive line is much younger than Louisville's, but better, just more talented. Louisville's does play very sound, though. They are sound players, but they are just not super talented. Clemson has shown that they can actually stop the run if they want to. We saw that against Florida State. Cam Akers is one of the best running backs we will see all season, if not the best. He was completely shut down. I think Robinson and Caban at Louisville could both play at Clemson, no doubt. But overall, Clemson has the better depth. Clemson's the better defensive line. I got to go with Clemson. For linebackers, a little bit of a slight deviation from what I've been doing so far. I'm going to give this one slight to Clemson. I think both teams' linebacker groups have been playing at a very high level. Both teams have great depth. They don't have an X factor like Isaiah Simmons, which gives the slight to Clemson. The linebackers at Louisville, though, they are liabilities in coverage as well. Albeit being smaller guys, they're just so focused on the run that sometimes they take their mind out of the coverage. But look, they're really good. I like those guys. Clemson's linebackers seem to be playing angry now, too. They're upset. They want to come out there and take people's heads off. They're getting turnovers, too, interceptions. I love it. So this one's going to be a little bit tighter. I have to give this one slight to Clemson. Again, the X factor is Isaiah Simmons. For defensive backs, I'm going to have to go with Clemson outright. I think Clemson has the superior depth, comparatively speaking, to Louisville's. Clemson's are playing more discipline, as we've said each week, than every other team that we've played so far. Clemson's defensive backs are also more willing to come up in the run support and lay the wood. I think Louisville's DBs are susceptible to getting beat in the deep ball way more than Clemson's are, and they can be beaten on back shoulder throws pretty easily. So I have to give Clemson's outright on this one. Again, Nolan Turner, A.J. Terrell, I think Denzel's playing really well. Underrated play by Kayvon Wallace and Tanner Muse. Those guys have really turned it around and stepped up. Because of that, I'm going to have to go with Clemson's defensive backs outright in this one. And for the final group, special teams, I'm going to have to go even. Look, B.T. Potter missed yet another layup kick, and he's likely going to be in the doghouse. He's been stripped of the place-kicking duties for this game, and it's been given to Steven Sawicki. Now, I like Steven Sawicki. I think he's going to be an interesting player. He's got a big tight end body as a kicker, but he's going to have a short leash. He's going to have to be accurate. If not, they're going to have to trot B.T. Potter right back out there. 
We have no time to be missing kicks. Both teams haven't had to punt much, although we do want to see their punter much more than we see Will Spires in this game. I'd like it if Will Spires just take this game off and never come out. Blanton Creaky is a veteran kicker for Louisville. He's played a lot of football for them. Despite not having to kick much this year, the guy is pretty good. I have to give him that. They're not super confident in him making critical kicks that are longer than 45 yards, but we'll see what happens. I think Rajay Burns and Hassan Hall are dangerous kick and punt returners, but I do think that Darian Kendrick and Amari Rogers are also just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, but we need to see them actually return this one. Overall, I got Clemson in this one. They're just a better team top to bottom. They're also better coached. And look, I love Coach Scott Satterfield. As I said earlier, I wholeheartedly thought that he was the best choice for whoever took him from Appalachian State. He was going to be a gym regardless of where he went. He was an App State man through and through. That's commitment there. He played quarterback in the late 90s, coached through the mid 2000s, eventually became the head coach of his beloved school. You know, that right there proves that he's in it for the long run, sort of like someone we know named Mr. William Christopher Dabo Sweeney. Now, I'm not saying he's a Sweeney-caliber coach, but the man is innovative. He knows football. Very good guy. App State has been a quality football program for a really long time, and he actually took them to even higher heights as head coach when he moved them to FBS level. I think he's committed to turning this Louisville football program around. He's doing it much faster than many people anticipated. Honestly, I'm not one of those people that feels bad for Louisville for the topsy-turvy decade that they've had. After all, their former AD, Jurich, had a complete brain meltdown and rehired a coach who bailed on them years before en route to a scandalous career full of being fired and bailing on teams just when they need him. I remind you about him lying to Louisville about not having secret meetings with Atlanta Falcons brass about leaving Louisville, only to leave the Atlanta Falcons in the middle of the night and not even facing his professional players that needed him. He just left a letter in their locker room letting him know that he's going to be taking the job at Arkansas, only to have affairs with engaged interns and wrecking a motorcycle and showing up with a brace around his neck to a press conference like a 100% certified goofball and ultimately given a chance at Western Kentucky after all that, just to bail yet again for the chance to come back to Louisville. Let's not forget the fact that he didn't even want his Heisman-winning quarterback, Lamar Jackson, in the first place. But this isn't even about Bobby Petrino. This is about Scott Satterfield. When, while I love the coach, his good culture, his good nature, his great and up-and-coming coaches, and what he stands for, let's face it, they just aren't on Clemson's level yet. Now, Clemson can't just come out and expect them to roll over. They're confident. They're 4-2. They know what winning feels like again. They're playing at home. They're likely going to be wild for this one. I've said it so many times. Clemson has to come out and play like they're supposed to. Best is the standard. We already know what happens when you don't do it. We've seen that a couple of weeks ago and a few times over the past years. Clemson's culture is all about doing the small, fundamental, sometimes boring and monotonous things that eventually build you into a powerhouse. Don't believe me? Here's something for you to look for from now on. Anytime you see a Clemson player or a former Clemson player or a current coach Anybody like that, or in the NFL or anything like that, just watch how many times they mention the phrase each and every day. It's important to take your opponent serious each and every day, no matter what. Folks, Louisville is legitimately the second place team in the ACC right now for some strange reason. So they want a piece of the bye too. They've never won the ACC or even came close. Honestly, I think the Tigers are trying to win back some of their own confidence. It began with an absolute thrashing of Florida State. You can see the pain and anger and the fire on the players' faces. You can see it on Dabo's face. 
You can see it in the way they coach the game. They just have that focus. They just have that fire. You can tell that they're believing in themselves. You can tell that they know all their goals are still on the table. They're still in the driver's seat to do everything that they want to do. They just have to block out all of the outside noise and play football like they know they can. Look, it doesn't matter. There's conversations about Clemson being undefeated and possibly not getting into the playoffs, which is just ridiculous. That just shows you that the public perception has not changed. In fact, for the most part, it's remained the same. Despite winning with ease, they dropped Clemson to third in the country. People still think Clemson isn't a good football program right now. You know, But folks, I implore you, don't panic. Don't freak out when you see that. Don't get upset about it. Objectively, it does make sense. LSU did beat a top 18 this past weekend to be undefeated. And look, whether Florida is legitimately the number seven team when they beat them, or, uh, you know, that's up for debate, but they still did it. But I'm one of those people that believes that Clemson was undefeated to start the season. They won the national championship. You had them at number one. They're still undefeated. Why are they not still at number one? You know what? Doesn't matter, though. Doesn't matter, because you can talk about this all year. This same week last year, Clemson was third in the country. They were behind Ohio State at two and Alabama at one. But we know how the season ended, okay? So don't worry about any of that. None of that matters, okay? None of that matters because the Tigers know it doesn't matter. Dabo knows it. I know it. You should know it too. But what it does do, though, is it ensures Dabo constantly has bulletin board material. Even though they say they only look on the inside and nothing on the outside, the Tigers are angry. We see that. We see what happens when you walk into an angry Tiger's Den. You get eaten alive. On with Roy Buss. He brought it out. We saw it in full fledged. It still hadn't even got greased up yet. I got the Tigers in the game that will resemble the game that we just saw last weekend. I got Clemson pretty big in this one. With that said, folks, we've come to the end of the show. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening in every single week that you do. You guys help me more than you know. If you want to listen to this episode again, it will be available on the 4th and 16th podcast. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find me on Twitter as well at eTolbertSpeaks or on Facebook page at 4th and 16th Sports. I'm also always happy to talk to you. It's great to be a Clemson Tiger. I'll catch you next week right here at the Roar at our usual time. Have a great night and go Tigers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!